listening to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast featuring me, your host, Casper McLeod, and with me for the first time this season. It is the very first co-host we ever had on the podcast all the way back in June 2020, which feels like a millennium ago. Liam, the Collingwood supporter. Liam, the actually decently nice Collingwood supporter who has his full set of teeth and uh, and has two functional eyes. Um, dear listener, I can't, I can't report that to you. Liam, mate, it's a pleasure to have you back on. First time this season. You've got to be happy with how your pies are doing. Got to be happy with that. Not even a false fire alarm could stop their momentum. Well, uh, a bit of a mixed weekend we're calling, but shall we say. We'll get on to the reasons for that. Um, but there's reasons to be both excited and disappointed uh, at the moment to be a Collingwood supporter. So just got to try and look at the positives at the moment. Life of a Collingwood supporter, you can't ever have something 100% nice. It's got to be like, oh yeah, this is going pretty well, but there is also this negative. Anyway, <laughs> first onto the AFLW, we finally got onto the qualifying final, the second qualifying final. First one was played not last weekend, uh, but it was played last weekend. The other one was supposed to be played last weekend, but then Collingwood had an outbreak of COVID-19, had to get pushed back a week, and Brisbane basically did what they pleased against Collingwood, won by 50 points, uh, and Brisbane scored 10 goals, 10, so it could have been a lot worse for Collingwood. Um, Collingwood uh, Brisbane had twice the amount of clearances, 20 more, 24 more inside 50 than Collingwood, and once again, Collingwood have struggled to contain the offensive firepower of a team's forward line, especially if that team is inside the top six. Marks inside 50 for Brisbane, 12 to 1 in favour of the Lions. They want every single key stat in a landslide. They won the disposal count by 31 and yet also won the tackle count by 15. Head coach of the Columbia Magpies, Steve Simons, said afterwards, we just didn't have anything in the legs as much as we wanted to try. At the back end of the game, we were running on the spot. In the end, they got numbers to the ball better than us, and we didn't have the legs to go with them. And I think that's exactly what it was. You saw the impact of Collingwood only being able to have one training session over the last two weeks because of the COVID outbreak before flying up to a much hotter climate, away game against Brisbane, who were a far better team this year than Collingwood in normal circumstances, but with the COVID circumstances that Collingwood were under, they, they had no chance. So I think there's not much personally to say other than that, but what did you make of it? Yeah, I think you've summarised things pretty well there. Like you said, they just dominated statistically. Um, you know, you look at the... I think realistically, this, this, the statistics tell the story of the game. I mean, you're never going to be able to beat a good team like Brisbane if you have one mark inside 50 for a whole game. Even if you are a small team who likes to play for the scraps and rove off of your, your bigger forwards, like the men's team do for Collingwood, even that wouldn't make a difference if you've only had one mark inside 50. It's just not, you know, conceivable that you're going to kick more than, you know, 20 or 30 points like Collingwood did. Um, and yeah, Brisbane were just, like, like uh, the Collingwood coach said, just looked all around better, got more people around the ball. Um, and I think, you know, Brisbane are looking very strong coming into the prelims this week. So, should be a good game. And let's get on to that first prelim final. It's a historic prelim final because for the first time since the AFLW competition began in 2017, AFLW footy is 
at the home of footy. It's at the MCG, Melbourne versus Brisbane. I'm excited for this one. Both teams top two for every single key stat, top two teams for goals, top two teams for tackles, sorry, top six for tackles, top six for disposals. They are very evenly matched. But with that being said, Brisbane are leading Melbourne in every single one of those statistics. Both teams, this is interesting, during the home and away season, conceded 252 points exactly, exactly. However, Brisbane slightly more firepower, scoring 26 more points than Melbourne. Now, this is interesting. The Deeds won earlier in the year due to a spectacular defensive effort. They won 35 to 32, despite losing the inside 50 count by 13 and the tackle count by 28. Speaks to how strong they were defensively in that game where they conceded 39 inside 50s and yet only conceded four goals. It was a great effort. Now, with that being said, I should mention that Brisbane lost that game partly due to the fact that they kicked four goals eight and their accuracy has improved. As well as improving accuracy, they are now getting more scoring shots as well. So they're not only getting more chances to kick goals, but they're kicking more goals. If Melbourne are a chance to win, they're going to have to rely on Brisbane mucking up in front of goal. And if you are relying on your opponent to be inaccurate in order for you to have a chance to win, I think you're going to be in trouble. I think it's going to be a good game. But we saw the impact of Collingwood having the week off on Collingwood. Though, yes, it's true, Melbourne hasn't had to deal with the massive COVID outbreak that Collingwood has had it's going to negatively impact them as well, having only, you know, played one competitive game in football in like two or three weeks. I think Brisbane's going to win by 10 points. They're made to play finals football. They are seasoned professionals when it comes to playing finals football, Brisbane. And they're not going to waste the opportunity to go back to back. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think Brisbane are going to win. Um, you know, they polled Collingwood. Uh, by, you know, 50 points. They smashed the Bulldogs before that. I think it was around about six goals. Um, and it looks like, you know, don't get me wrong, Melbourne are also a very good team, as you pointed out, but Brisbane have them covered in all the important areas. Um, and I think also Melbourne are probably a little bit more rusty. They haven't played a game in three weeks now. Brisbane obviously also had a bit of a break, but I think are a little bit more um, probably game ready, if you like. Um I do think it will be close, but I just think that, you know, even with uh, Spark potentially out, I do know that Brisbane are appealing that. I, I still think even without her, they'd still be able to get over the line, um, let alone if they managed to get her back. So I'm going to have to go Brisbane by 17 points. Yeah, fair, mate. Now we get on to the Adelaide Oval. Adelaide versus Fremantle, both teams top six for total disposal this year, top three in terms of total marks. Uh, tackling Fremantle, best tackling team in the comp, Adelaide bottom four. Uh, both teams top four for total goals. Adelaide have conceded the fewest points this season, just 187. Second, fewest points conceded this year, North Melbourne with 249 points as before finals were played. So this is interesting as well. Adelaide are borderline impossible to score against in South Australia. With the exception of the Dogs game, where they conceded eight goals in that match, that was an outlier. They have only conceded 11 goals outside of that match in games played in South Australia, including holding Brisbane, the most prolific scoring side in the comp this year when it comes to goals, to just one major. 
when they played against each other back in round one. With the eight goals against the Dogs added, they've conceded just 3.8 goals per game in South Australia. This is incredible, right? So despite all the stats that I just told you, painting a picture of how strong they are defensively at home, out of their 187 total points that they've had conceded against them, 131 of them have come at home, which just goes to show that they can play at home all way and they're like a brick wall. It's going to be borderline impossible to get anything past them. It's not just their defense, though. It's their full ground defensive effort. When they played Frio earlier in the season, Fremantle only had 16 inside 50s compared to Adelaide's 43. Unless you're, I don't know, Port Adelaide versus Hawthorne in the AFL men's, which we will get to, you are not going to lose a game of football when you have that amount of inside 50s that you have in favor of you versus what you concede. Every final the Croats have played against in 2019 and 2021 was at home. And they want all of them except for the grand final last year. They are not going to lose two finals in a row at the Adelaide Oval. I think Adelaide by 20 points. And for the third time in the competition's short history, it will be Adelaide versus Brisbane. Yeah, I mean, you make a lot of good points there. Um, you know, Adelaide are very strong at home. And, you know, you know, I think the only way that Fremantle win this game is if they keep it low scoring. I think they've got to try and be strong defensively because it probably is going to be hard for them to score um, in Adelaide. It's just not something that many teams have done successfully. Like you said, the Bulldogs kicking eight, which, you know, isn't even that big in the grand scheme of things, is an outlier. Um, again, though, you got to take into consideration that Adelaide are coming off the back of a three-week break. How rusty are they going to be? Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be close. I really think this one's going to be really close. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pick a little bit of a surprise one here. I'm going to back Frio in by seven points. I think they're going to find a way over the line. I just think they've looked really strong in the finals. They're getting past teams relatively easily. So I'm going to go with a bit of a surprise result there. I am so glad that you're going to, that you're disagreeing me that that you're disagreeing with me on that one. Um, on to the AFL men's now. What we're going to do? We are going to discuss our top two highlights, top two lowlights, and then we'll say which player surprised us the most. And then after that, we'll discuss four major talking points that come out of the weekend, and then we'll give our tips for round three of the AFL men's season. Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. What were your top two highlights? There were plenty to choose from. <laughs> there is. Um, and I think the one which everybody will be talking about is the Buddy 1000. I mean, you, you can't not put that in your highlights as far as I'm concerned. What a moment. Um, you know, you had to be there. Well, you didn't have to be there, but you had to at least see it to believe it. Um, you know, whether or not we'll be lucky enough to see that again in our lifetime, um, I don't know. Obviously, the game at least... Looks like it's becoming a bit more high scoring again, but we can't bank on it staying that way. There's rule changes every year, it seems like now. So for all we know, we could be getting games that barely get 60 or 70 points again in a couple of years' time. So who knows? So that was obviously the, the big highlight for me. But I think another one just has to be overall how good Carlton's star players have been um, this year, but especially against the Bulldogs. You had... McKay with five goals, Kerno with four, Cripps with 35 touches. It's just like it's all falling into place for Carlton right now. Everyone, it seems like, is playing their part. 
Um, and I think that, yeah, that has to be my second highlight, just how well Carlton's team as a whole is operating and how well their, you know, big names are playing. How about you, Casper? Well, fair enough, mate. Look, um, I am also going to have Buddy Franklin as my number one tip. I was actually coming home from work, uh, watching that fourth quarter stop starting on the tram, and I was just thinking to myself, if I, if somehow if my data on my phone drops out, when he kicks his thousandth goal, I'm going to lose my mind. Thankfully, that didn't happen. <laughs> Thankfully, it didn't happen. It's just a testimony to how much Buddy is loved that I was on the tram watching the people stream onto the SCG, which was amazing. And there's a Carlton supporter standing behind me. And we had a conversation about how much we love Buddy Franklin, right? Carlton supporter. I know my second team is the Swans, but my main team are the Bombers. And Buddy loves playing against the Bombers. We're his bunnies, right? He loves, he's kicked more goals against us than any other club in the competition. If there's a, if there's a supporter base that should hate Buddy Franklin, it is Essendon supporters. And yet can't help but love him because he's just such a lovable character. And he's just such a nice guy. At least that's the way that he, you know, comes across. Even when he only kicked a goal last week against the Giants. You could see the fact that the Swans won and the Swans had a good win. That mattered far more to him than getting to a thousand goals. And good on him as well. He handled it like a champ because I can imagine it would have been quite scary having that sea of humanity rushing in at you from all sides, lifting you up on their shoulders and everyone's wanting to you know, rub your head and pat you on the back or whatever. And he took it all within his strides, you could see. And it, it looked genuine, the genuine happiness, just unbelievable moment. And no matter what happens for the rest of the year, I reckon until we get a premiership team until someone wins the grand final, that scene, that night, that moment will be the defining feature of the 2022 season without a shadow of a doubt. Midway through the Sunday twilight game between Fremantle and St. Kilda, when the Saints had kicked two goals, seven, and were trailing the Dockers by three goals or so, I thought to myself, man, the Saints have to be on the low lights, surely, because Fremantle were missing their two best players in Monday and Fife. They weren't playing good, Fremantle, and yet St. Kilda were kicking themselves out of the game. And then young Max King went ahead and had a Nick Rewalt-esque impact on that second half, from just two disposals to halftime to four goals in the second half single-handedly took the game by the scruff of the neck and thought, no, do you know what? I'm going to decide this. And so my second highlight, not St. Kilda, but Max King. He looks like potentially the next superstar full forward in the competition. He looks awesome. Now we get onto the lowlights. And I suspect that this might be a lowlight for you too, Liam. Because on Saturday night, a team who made last year's prelim final was playing against a team who finished in the bottom four last year. And the team who made the prelim final had 74 more disposals, had 12 more inside 50s, had 24 more clearances, including 10 more center clearances, won the uncontested possession count by almost 70 and won the contested possession count comfortably, won more, had more marks, had more everything, had almost 20 more tackles. And yet they lost by 64 points 
I think it was Fox Sports who said this, but that has never happened. When a team has won the disposal cap by that much, won the clearances, won every single key stat by as much as they did, and yet lost by 64 points. That was such a calamitous performance. I don't even know how to put into, like before the game started, Port's percentage was in the 90s or so from memory. And they ended it in the low 60s. They were middle of the pack before that game started and they finished it below Essendon. You know how bad the Bombers were in round one? Yeah, Port were even worse. Just to give you an idea of how bad Port Adelaide were. It almost, and I, I, this is a big call to make, but I remember Kane Corn saying in 2013 when Ken Hinckley's first year in the charge of Port Adelaide and they were having a good season, finally, after years and years and years in the, in the football wilderness, that the 2007 grand final set the club back five years. And I just wonder, I just wonder what the psychological impact of losing that prelim final to the dogs were. I just, I just wonder what it was. And I just wonder if that's going to have a similar impact because it's looking like it's impacting them right now because their kids have stagnated, their older players. It was just like a similar problem with Essendon, right, in round one. You had all these players getting 30, 35, 40 disposals and yet doing nothing with them. Full kudos to Hawthorne. Unlucky to not get in, uh, to get in the uh, highlights section. If we had three highlights instead of two, they definitely would have made it. But Port Adelaide, that was shambolic, absolutely shambolic. And on a night where you were honoring the memory of one of the greatest people to ever coach and play at your club, absolute disgusting performance. And they should be absolutely ashamed of themselves to even call themselves footballers. Absolutely shocking. Now, the second low light, I'll admit, is not as clear cut, not as clear cut. Um, okay, I'll go with the Giants. I'll go with the Giants. I said last week that if GWS, this was their golden opportunity to beat Richmond at the MCG. And if they weren't going to do it this week, they were never going to do it. Well, now I'm convinced they will never beat Richmond at the MCG because the Tigers had premiership players missing, were down on confidence. The Giants played pretty well against the Swans for two and a half to three quarters. This was their golden opportunity, GWS. And yet they got smashed in the midfield. They got smashed everywhere around the ground. The Tigers looked like they were incapable of scoring at times against Carlton. And yet GWS conceded over 100 points against them. Amazingly, I'm looking at the stats now. Giants had more disposals comfortably, won the inside 50 count. They lost the clearances comfortably. They lost the hitouts comfortably. And even worse, they had a couple of key injuries. Davis is out. Who knows how long for Lloyd shoulder injury? Who knows how long out he's going to be for? Amazingly, GWS had 36 marks, more marks than Richmond, which is amazing because looking at the game, Richmond just had total control of everything around the ground. It was just a massive missed opportunity. And Toby Green's suspension is now looking like it is really impacting them. Really, really impacting them massively. So how about you, Liam? What were your two lowlights? Yeah, I think you've made some good points there. Um, Port Adelaide agreed. I just think, you know, you, 
you can't really put into words what happened there. You know, you, like you said, you got a team from the prelim versus a team that were pretty shambolic last year. And you wouldn't be mistaken to think that it was the other way around based on the way the performance went. Um, and not only that, but to get drummed at their home stadium as well just makes it even worse. Um, you know, they make out at some kind of fortress. Well, the fortress has been well and truly, you know, uh, <laughs> it, well, let's put it this way. Yeah, put, put, put it this way. The royal family better be getting worried because the fortress has been uh, foiled and people <laughs> are well inside the palace. They want a um, refund on the security system. Yeah, so that's definitely my first low light. And uh, my second low light is an unfortunate one in my case, obviously. Bulldogs is my second team, 0-2. Um, you know, to be fair, they've come up against two teams who I think will be playing in the finals this year, uh, especially in the case of Melbourne, obviously reigning champions. Um, but it still is disappointing from a Bulldogs perspective um, to be, you know, 0-2, and two, so... Like I said, they've played some good teams, but ultimately when you're, you know, the runners up from the year before to start the year 0-2 is not a good start. So that's probably my second low line. Fair enough, mate. The dogs sure look like they're struggling. Now on to the, uh, and you know, kind of, I don't, no disrespect to the dogs, but, you know, it does, it does bring a slight smile to my face and say they're struggling, just a slight one. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, although that definitely helps. Now, I want to ask you this. Which player surprised you the most during the weekend? Yeah, I mean, look, it'd be easy to go and pick someone who had a really good game this weekend, like, you know, Nick Larkey kicking six goals or someone like that. But, you know, I think to think a bit outside the box for this one, I'm actually going to go with a player who played against Nick Larkey this week and go with Willie Rioli for West Coast because it was a team that only managed eight goals the whole game. He accounted for half of those. He kicked four. And obviously, he's only had a couple of games now back since he's banned, if not his first game this week, and I'm not exactly 100% sure. And he hasn't looked like he's, you know, he doesn't look off the pace at all. It looks like he's come back as if he's been, you know, in the team for weeks and he's been playing in, you know, career best form. He kicked four goals in a team that was absolutely abysmal. Um, so if you're looking for a surprise performance, I think it would be Willie Rioli for me in a very, you know, um, shall we say, light and struggling West Coast team. Mate, that is fair enough. I'm going to go with a young hawk by, uh, well, he has a combined name of um, two very famous Hawthorne players. I'm talking about Mitch Lewis. Hawthorne, play, Hawthorne supporters be absolutely loving anyone with the last name Lewis, especially if they can play as well as this guy. Kicked five goals straight against Port Adelaide. Didn't have a lot of disposals, but you don't have to when you kick five goals. That's almost surreally like but you barely have any touches, but the touches that you do have are devastating. Five goals from 11 disposals. He had seven marks and one tackle. Easily the best player on the ground for mind. He's having a career best year so far. I know this, you know, relatively new to the new to the competition, but disposals up from his career average, having uh, higher uh, goals this year so far on average than his career average. Goal accuracy is up, marks is up, tackles is up, therefore fantasy points are up. It is unbelievable. He had five goals, highest amount of goals he's ever kicked. Uh, disposals, almost the highest amount of disposals in round one that he's ever had. Goal kicking accuracy, 100%, which is amazing. We'll discuss the goal kicking problem league-wide later in the later in the podcast, but there does seem to be a problem. Had nine marks against North Melbourne in round one, which is, again, almost a career high. Tackles, 
almost a career high back in round one as well. He is turning into such a crucial player for this young Hawks side. And yeah, sure, he's a young player who probably fall off the pace, the, the pace just a little bit. But you know what? While this lasts, even though he's a Hawthorne player, I'm going to enjoy him tearing teams to shreds. Just until, you know, just until he starts to fall off the pace a little bit. Now, we get on to our four major talking points. I want to start off with this one, Liam. That North Melbourne-West Coast game. West Coast had to almost play their entire waffle team. North Melbourne won unconvincingly. Adam Simpson said in the post, uh, post-match press conference that had more players from the regular teams been in that they definitely would have won that game. Well, not definitely, but they definitely could have won that game. And I agree with that. And I want to ask you this. Should that game have been postponed? Uh, I think no matter what answer you give to this, there's going to be people who disagree. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it will probably come down to who you support probably in this instance. If you're a West Coast supporter, there's an obvious opinion you're going to take. But I think after the the situations we've had the last two years with postponing games and lockdowns and everything like that, we, we heard uh, Gil McLaughlin at the start of the year say there's not going to be anything that stops games at this point. Um, and to be honest, I can't blame him at this point. You know, Australia has, has gotten to that point where we're learning to live with COVID. Um, and that means that we've got to just push through if there are roadblocks. Um, and I think that ultimately the AFL is trying to adopt that system as well. Um, and I think, you know, no doubt it's, it's harsh on West Coast because they had to, like you say, p- play a whole bunch of their, you know, waffle players. But at the same time, they have enough players to fill the team. And that's, you know, the whole reason that, you know, AFL teams have big squads is so that they've got players there who can come in if teams have injuries or if somebody falls sick, et cetera. So um, I think the right decision was made to have the game go ahead. Um, but ultimately, you know, it is still harsh on West Coast. So I do understand the argument why you, you could, you know, make the argument for it to have been postponed as well. It compromises the competition. And it compromises the competition either way you look at it, because either you postpone games, thus teams all of a sudden, instead of having six days or seven days to prepare for the next match, they have three or four days, as opposed to their opponents who have, you know, the full six or seven days, however many days to prepare for that same game. However, to expect a team with half of their regular players out, filled with waffle plays, and no offense to the waffle, but it's not... The AFL, right? AFL top echelon, and then you have the state leagues below them in terms of the standards, right? The Waffle's not up to that standard yet. And I thought they did well, the Waffle players, truthfully. Um, and they did well to, to keep in that game as long as they did. Although, that, to be honest with you, that could be a sign that North Melbourne are even worse than we thought that they were. But that's besides the point. It's a double-edged sword. I'm glad I didn't make a decision. However, with that being said, I just think that possibly, possibly could have been postponed. It didn't have to be postponed until Wednesday or Thursday, but maybe just play, maybe play it today. Maybe just play it today. Give the Eagles two days or so to try and get their COVID-ish sorted. And clubs, are, players have said last year that they were okay with playing few, you know, more five-day breaks than average. Fine. Have the Eagles play a five-day break. If the players want to play a five-day break, have them play a five-day break. If it means the fact that they are 
less compromise for a game of football, I don't understand why you wouldn't go for it. So, yeah, I don't know. There's going to be a few games like that this year, I'm afraid, where it's not so much how strong a team is in in general against their opponent for in the entire season. It's who they have available and who they have isolating, unfortunately. Now, on to the next topic here. There are six clubs at the moment who find themselves zero and two to start the year. Some of them perhaps we were expecting, either because of where they are at in their journey, the Adelaide Crows, or because of circumstances outside of their control, the West Coast Eagles, or because they had a brutally tough start to the season, Essendon, and other teams less expected, Bulldogs and especially Port Adelaide. Giants are also in there. I want to ask you, out of these six teams, the Dogs, the Eagles, the Crows, the Giants, the Dons, and the Power, which team should be the most alarmed? Um, it pains me to say it, but I do think it's the Bulldogs. Um, even though Port Adelaide did get beaten comfortably by Hawthorne, which is very alarming, I think the Bulldogs, you know, they've come up against two good teams already, but they have another one coming up this weekend. And I think for the Bulldogs, it's a case of they don't want to fall too far behind too early. Because if they're 0-3, all of a sudden their hopes of pushing for probably, you know, top four finishes already becoming problematic unless they go on a crazy you know run and win eight nine ten games in a row which is very very difficult um they're going to be in a really bad situation uh, being zero and three so i think they're the ones who need to be the most concerned and you would also believe that port adelaide the other team who i assume you know most people would say is the other team you could make the argument for in this debate they do have their you know crosstown rivals adelaide who they've been beating let's be realistic here um, almost every time they've played in recent years so you'd like to think if you're a Port Adelaide supporter you're going to get the win this weekend against um, your crosstown rivals whereas the Bulldogs against Sydney it's a lot harder to call um, so I think the Bulldogs for me is the team who should be the most concerned how about you? Interesting I'm tipping Port Adelaide solely because you're right when you said earlier that the Dogs have played two really they played two really good teams this year. Demons are going to be up there again, and Carlton should, should at bare minimum, challenge for finals this year. They look very good. Port Adelaide lost to Brisbane in round one. No shame in that. Lots of teams lose to Brisbane, especially at the Gabba. They do some ridiculous statistic that over 2020 and 2021 and into 2022, the Lions have only lost two games at the Gabba during the home and away season, which is insane. Makes you ask why they can't win a game there during the finals, but that's beside the point. And then they come out against a team that many expected to finish bottom four, some expected bottom two, some expected wooden spoon. And they lose at home. Their first home game of the year, they lose by 64 points. By the way, I forgot to mention this one stat. They only had four less scoring shots, and yet Hawthorne kicked 12 more goals. Explain that to me. Port Adelaide at the moment, they're in deep trouble because you would have looked at their first two games and you would have thought, they would be at least one and one. The fact that they're zero and two is alarming because although it's true they play the Crows and they should beat the Crows, we'll get onto that later. They then play Melbourne, Carlton, the Eagles at the Adelaide Oval. West Coast like to play Port at the Adelaide Oval. Remember the 2017 elimination final and Jeremy McGovern the year after that? They like to play the power at the Adelaide Oval. The Saints, who knows about St. Kilda this year? They then play the Dogs, at the Adelaide Oval, 
be interesting to see what psychological damage there is from <laughs> when it comes to that game. That is a brutal stretch of matches. If they lose against the Crows, I would not be surprised if Ken Hinckley is gone by round eight. Because if they lose against the Crows, I can honestly see them being zero and eight or one and seven at best. And imagine saying that about Port at the start of the year. But it shows how paper thin they are. Now, on to the next topic um, and arguably the most important one. Can I get myself a boyfriend this year? Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. Said that we weren't going to discuss that one. Um, right. Let's go with the one that I'm sure I the listeners want to hear, our, you know, our love life problems, Casper. Oh, uh, yeah. No, they probably don't. Um, <laughs> on <laughs> Instead, let's discuss Hawthorne and Collingwood. Now, both clubs expecting to be pretty bad this year. And both with new coaches, they are dominating. They're not just winning. They are dominating. I, I told you that I, I was technically right that Collingwood would win comfortably against the Crows. I wasn't expecting that. Not even a false fire alarm could stop their momentum, Collingwood. That's how impressive they were. They suffocated the Crows. And the Hawks did the exact same thing to Port Adelaide. It was an incredible, incredible, incredible effort. I want to ask you, Liam, and try not to be biased. Who, which team do you think has the more sustainable form going forward? At least in 2022. Yeah, um, to be honest, I'd like to say neither because <laughs> I don't think either of these two teams will be maintaining a, uh, you know, uh, you know, clean slate for much longer. Um, but... If I had to pick between the two, I would have to say Hawthorne simply because they have at least beaten a team who we assume will be, well, you'd like to think Port Adelaide will be in the finals, if not, you know, top five, top six minimum. Um, so that's the only reason I would say Hawthorne. But realistically, I don't think either of these two teams will be, you know, uh, <laughs> maintaining a, you know, like I said, clean slate for much longer. I think both Collingwood and Hawthorne are going to have losses in the near future. Um, but that being said, I think Hawthorne have more to be excited about simply because they did beat a side we assume will do well this year. Um, but that's not to take away from Collingwood. I, I've got to admit it has been the most exciting football I've seen us play in recent years, but that's not to say there hasn't been some quarters where we've looked pretty poor. I think we've just weathered the storm quite well in those quarters where we have been a little bit lacklustre. And against a team like Geelong this week, we, we saw what they did in round one against um, Essendon. When Geelong have a good quarter, they don't just kick 20 points and, you know, you can maybe scrape a couple of goals and stay close. They'll put 45 points past you and they're, they're out of sight. So I, I do fear how Collingwood are going to be able to deal with that kind of uh, onslaught should Geelong bring that this weekend. But, um, yeah, I think Hawthorne just edging Collingwood, but I don't think either of them, to be honest, will be going too much further with this good run. Yeah, fair enough. I, I will say the one thing that I think is in Collingwood's favour is the fact that Hawthorne's injury list is almost non-existent. Right, they had a scare with Chad Wingard. Uh, scans, according to afl.com.au, minimal damage. Thankfully, thank goodness for him and thank goodness for Hawthorne. Minimal damage to his hamstring will probably be out for a bit. But with him included, there's only three players on that injury list at Hawthorne. Almost a completely clean bill of health. Collingwood, they have at the moment uh, one player who is to be uh, to be declared in terms of how badly injured he is. But a bunch of young players, 
all with anywhere from two to eight weeks out. One, two, three, four, five, five of them. And so the fact that Collingwood have a bigger injury list than Hawthorne and yet have dominated just as much as the Hawks have is, I think, a good sign for Collingwood going forward. I do trust Collingwood's younger players more so. Um, I do think that Hawthorne still have a few more players to kind of get rid of in terms of who are at the end of their careers. And so there's probably going to be more short-term pain for the Hawks this season. But you are right in saying that Hawthorne have been more impressive just because of who they've beaten and how they've beaten them. I know disrespect to St. Kilda Adelaide, but they're not going to, they're not going to challenge. They're probably not going to challenge the finals this year. Probably. Let's be realistic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think you can toss a coin with this one. It's, it's, it's really challenging to say. Um, now, on to this topic. This one could potentially be interesting. There's seemingly, once again, just like last year, a goal-kicking problem across the competition in terms of accuracy. Now, we go to round one. Carlton, very impressive against Richmond, despite kicking 14 goals, 17. St. Kilda, also inaccurate, 12 goals, 13. Geelong, this is scary as an Essendon supporter. They kicked 20 goals, 18. Imagine had they kicked straighter. Goodness gracious me. GWS, 13 goals, 14. Hawth- uh, sorry, Brisbane, 11 goals, 14. Hawthorne, 11 goals, 12. Fremantle, 11 goals, 17. That's just round one. Round two. Geelong, 10 goals, 17. Adelaide, 8 goals, 10. Essendon, 10 goals, 15. So despite how dominant Brisbane were in that game, we had more scoring shots. Port Adelaide, 7 goals, 14. North Melbourne, 10 goals, 14. GWS, 10 goals, 13. And St. Kilda, 9 goals, 11. I want to ask you, Liam, is there a goal-kicking accuracy problem across the competition or am I just overreacting? And if I'm not overreacting, do you think it will correct itself? Or do you think that this is a major, major, major problem that needs some addressing? Um, I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about. I do think that the game goes through different stages. Um, and I do think, generally speaking, players nowadays are just, okay, yes, a bit more inaccurate. I think because maybe players have a lot of different styles that they use now when it comes to kicking the ball. Whereas, you know, you go back 30 or 40 years, it was the same style everybody used and it was generally quite effective. Um, But now players have a bit more, you know, um, individuality about the way that they kick the goal, if you like. Um, And I think, yes, you know, we've seen a lot of teams get a lot of, you know, alarming score lines in terms of so many behinds as opposed to goals. But you know, you do need to take into account, you know, rush behinds and things like that. Definitely add a couple of points here and there that probably are actual scoring shots. Um, and to be fair, this this week um, in particular, we had 10 teams have positive goals to points ratio. So I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about. I don't think it's something that I think we need to be saying is a, you know, league-wide issue. Um, but I do think that, Yes, some teams namely do have problems in front of goal. Um, you know, Essendon probably namely for one, among a few others. Um, but I, I, I think we just need to give it time. And I think we'll see that the majority of teams aren't too bad in front of goal. I think, you know, 
Collingwood notoriously have been, have been a team over the years who have been awful in front of goal. As a Collingwood supporter, I can speak to countless games that we've looked like we were in it and we've kicked ourselves out of it. Um, but this year, watching Collingwood, we've actually been kicking remarkably straight, which is baffling, to be honest. Um, so to I love that as a Collingwood supporter. Wow, we're doing really well. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> who would have thought it? I think it's just a bit of swings and roundabouts. Some teams are kicking well, some don't, and it kind of changes from time to time. So I don't think it's anything to be getting too alarmed about at this moment, but uh, you might take a different take on that. It's. I'm trying to not be too alarmist because we are two rounds into the season, but there's just one thing that, that teams and players just have to stop doing, right? If your name is not Stevie J, stop kicking like him. The reason why it is so remarkable that Stevie J could do what he did is because it is incredibly difficult to take a straightforward set shot more or less directly in front and then go around the corner. Because when you go around the corner, the ball bends like you're kicking it around. It goes like it doesn't go. It's, I shouldn't have to. It's I'm Listen to me for crying out loud. I'm dumbfounded that players are still doing this. If you are, unless you are deep in the pocket, right? Unless you're on the dom sheet angle, right? Unless you're deep in the pocket or up against the boundary line, right? You know I had to mention that. Oh, yeah. Unless you're on that angle, do not go around the corner. That will, I reckon, shave at least half of the points that teams are conceding and turn them into goals. So just it's, it's, it's simple. Maybe, maybe you've got to bring back Matthew Lloyd and his techniques. Throw the grass in the air, right? I get it. Sometimes it can be difficult to read the wind. It's it's the that's just throw the grass. It's easy, right? And yeah, sure, people made fun of Lloydy, but he's laughing. He won two premier well, one premiership medal, played in two grand finals, numerous Coleman medals, kicked a hundred goals twice, and finished with nine hundred and twenty-six majors. The thing is, though, you mentioned that we did see Harry Mackay. I mean, almost every set shot he takes now is a snap, but he doesn't back himself in terms of normal set shots. But it does work for him, and he is the reigning Coleman medalist. So, you know, it is annoying to watch, and it makes me laugh seeing players take snapshots from, you know, 35 out directly in front and things like that. And obviously sometimes it doesn't work, but I think each player is different um, when it comes to that. And, you know, Harry Mackay is the perfect example because... He doesn't back himself from a normal set shot, so he'll take snaps from all sorts of, you know, <laughs> silly angles, you would say, but he does still manage to kick five a game. So, yeah, it, it's an player. interesting one. That's one. One True. example. There are, like, 700 players across the competition. If your name is not Stevie J, stop doing the Stevie J kick, right? Look at what Ben Brown, right? Ben Brown. Great, beautiful kicking technique. Yeah, sure. He might start off in back in Tasmania with his run-up, but it works for him because he kicks the ball straight ahead and the ball goes straight. It's simple techniques, right? If you're a golfer, right, you learn to put your feet behind the ball, bend your knees, right, aim your feet where you're aiming. Unless you're Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy, you're not going to make the ball do exactly what you want to do if you purposely aim to miss it. So don't do it. Anyway, on to 
I swear, I think that's every single topic out of this. Let's move on to the next section before I lose my mind more about this topic. On to round three, what promises to be a fascinating, fascinating weekend of football. And it starts off with a monumental Thursday night clash. Thursday nights have been great so far this year. Sometimes they've been hit and miss, but they've been really, really good so far this season. And it starts off with a monster Thursday night clash at Marvel Stadium. It's the Bulldogs and the Swans, the 2016 grand final replay. I'll let you start off with this one, Liam. You've talked about how badly the dogs need to avoid going zero and three. Can the dogs avoid going through at zero and three? Um, I think this is a good chance, to be honest. I know that Sydney will be kind of, you know, arguably still running with the adrenaline off of last weekend, but you could also say that they'll be maybe a little bit, um, you know, recovering from buddy mania, if you like. So I think it's a good chance for the Bulldogs, obviously also at home at Marvel Stadium. They're quite strong there generally. So I think that it, it's a good chance for them to get the result. Don't get me wrong, Sydney are a very strong team and I expect them to make finals this year, but I do think the Bulldogs will bounce back. They haven't been awful in the two losses they have taken to both Carlton and Melbourne. They led both those games at different stages. So it's not like they've been, you know, absolutely obliterated and there's a, a serious cause for concern. Um, that being said, I definitely don't want them to lose this game because then they will be. But um, I do think they will manage to win, but I do think it will be close. I'm going to back the dogs by 14 points. Of course you are. Now, the Kangaroos in 1999 are the most recent team to start the season zero and two, and then go on to win the premiership. Sydney and Collingwood in 2014 and 2018 came close to winning the premiership after starting the season zero and two. But you want to know what all three of those teams have in common? They won their third game. So needless to say, it's critical for the Bulldogs to win this one. And with that being said, they might be without Crozier, who fell ill during last week's uh, match, as reported by AFL.com.au. Norton, will he be in? Will he be out? Who knows at this stage? If not, that is a major problem because the Dogs have gone from last year being a top four team for goals on average to middle of the road this year. And even worse, they have struggled to contain big, powerful forwards. Mackay and uh, Kerno kicked nine goals between them. And now they're coming up against Buddy, Logan McDonald. You've got Hickey who can sometimes go forward and go uh, in the ruck as well. This Swans forward line, they, I think Sydney are the most prolific goal-scoring team in the competition so far this year. With how much the Dogs have struggled defensively and how much they're struggling offensively, Bont looks like he's playing hurt and the Swans midfield is awesome. Heaney, at the moment, he should be considered an early favourite for the Brownlow medal with how strong he's been. I just don't think the Dogs can keep up with the Swans. This is going to be a close game because the Dogs do play the Swans quite well, but I'm tipping the Swans by 18 points. Now on to something that is very exciting. We have a double header on Friday night. Now, this is something that is quite common in uh, the NRL, but in the world of AFL, we've only ever really had a doubleheader 
on Good Friday football. And now we're having a double header on Friday night on a weekend that is not the Easter long weekend. And it starts off with a massive Friday night clash at the MCG. The 2-0 Melbourne Demons host the 0-2 Essendon Bombers. Now, I will say that the one thing I think, in, I think is in Essendon's favour is recently, as recently as 2019, we started the season 0-2. We played Melbourne on a Friday night at the MCG in round three, defeated the Deeds, and went on to make finals that year. However, with that being said, that is about as far as the positives go. I do think even though Melbourne are still missing some premiership players from last year's grand final, Essendon still have a fundamental problem that they had last year and they still haven't been able to fix it. And they are unable to play four quarters of football as, as well as they did in, in that first quarter last week against Brisbane. And if you do not play four quarters of football against Melbourne, you're going to lose, right? Gold Coast were pretty good last week against Melbourne, but they didn't play four quarters of footy and the Ds ended up winning. I do think it'll be another close victory for Melbourne. I just think that it'll take them just a little bit of time this year to fully hit their strides. I'm tipping the Demons by 15 points. Yep, I think that that's a fair uh, expectation to make. Um, but I think that I think Melbourne are going to be dominant. I think, you know, we, we saw what a, you know, reasonably good Geelong side did to Essendon in round one. Granted, I don't think Essendon will be as bad as that often this year. But there's still doubts over, you know, how good Essendon will be this year. Obviously, they overachieved last year making the finals. Um, and <laughs> there's, you know... I don't think if they didn't make the finals, Essendon supporters would be disappointed. I mean, you can correct me there, but I think that as an Essendon supporter, you know, finals would be another overachievement this year. Um, I don't think that Essendon want to be finishing low down, you know, the ladder. I think they still want to probably be in and around that top eight, probably top 10 or 11 is probably a reasonable target after last year. Um, but I just think Melbourne, you know, they're the reigning champions ultimately and Essendon they're hard to read at the moment they were reasonable against Brisbane obviously it was relatively close but then you take the the Geelong game and they got absolutely smashed so I think the uh, the Bombers will struggle and I think Melbourne will be far too strong I'm going to say Melbourne to win relatively comfortably by 40 points so you're tipping the dogs to win and you're tipping the Bombers to be embarrassed absolutely typical typical that's the reason why I have you on this podcast now this is something that footy fans have been crying out for for years, for years, especially in South Australia. They've always said, stop putting showdowns on Saturdays and Sundays, especially Sundays. Put them on Friday night. Well, South Australia, now you have it. And now you have a Friday night showdown at a time where South Australian football is in a national embarrassment. They, both teams are doing terribly this year, absolutely terribly. Port are currently dead last for total goals. Adelaide, I think, are bottom four. This is interesting, though. According to AFL Draft Guru, the Crows are dead last in terms of average games played and for average age of players on their list, while Port is top six. So on paper, with how much is on stake for Port, with their tough run of games coming up and their list uh, in terms of average games played, Port should win this and win this well. However, 
I think Adelaide players will be looking at this game and licking their lips as a golden opportunity to win their first showdown since the first showdown in 2019. They've lost four showdowns in a row since then. But last year, they've gone closer each time, right? 2020, they lost by about 12 goals. First showdown in 2021, they lost by seven or eight goals. They lost by four points in the second showdown last year. They're getting closer. And I think the trend is going to continue. I'm tipping the Crows in a monster upset to heap more pressure on Ken Hinckley, to make David Koch even more angry, and to set Alberton on fire. Westlake's over Alberton this week. You've heard it here first. Big brother is going to own little brother. The Crows are going to win. It's going to be a great game of football. It's going to be, I'm tipping them by four points. I told you beforehand I got a couple of upsets coming, and I do not lie. I do not lie. I mean... It's a very bold assumption to make, but hey, I've I've come into this podcast in the past and doubted your psychic abilities and you picked Gold Coast to beat West Coast in what was an inconceivable thought at the time. So who's to say that you will be wrong? Um, you know, I'm not I am go- a football god. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say that that's inconceivable because like you said, Port Adelaide have been very poor this year. Um, but I do think that they will win personally. Um, you know, everything statistically suggests this could be a close game because both teams have been, you know, poor this year. Both teams are 0-2. Um, but I think that Port have the better team. Um, and I think that they've got a point to prove. You know, you could argue Adelaide do too, but I, to be honest, I think Port have the team capable of making that point, whereas Adelaide probably don't have... That also Rory Sloan against Collingwood came off late in the game. So he's, we're not too sure. Like I, I haven't heard much since that game, but he could be a doubt for the game. Uh, if he's out, that's a massive blow as well. So I think Port will will come out and they'll, they'll have that point to prove. I think they'll be comfortable winning this by 44 points. You mentioned Rory Sloan. However, let me throw some names at you. Aaliyah Aaliyah, still not playing. Charlie Dixon, still iffy about whether or not he's playing. Fantasia, still out for a long time. Robbie Gray, he might not play either. Trent McKenzie came off with an injury against Hawthorne. He might be a bit iffy. And Kane Farrell out for two to three weeks. I reckon that brings Port down a peg or two. And I said preseason that they looked really, really, really iffy because they were paper thin. Their depth at the moment, my phone has more depth to it if I hold it horizontally than Port Adelaide do, right? They do They do have the reigning brand low medalist though. And when you get players like that, you know, they can win games off their own boot, I think, personally. That's true. But I'm, I, I could play better football than Ollie Wines is playing at the moment. <laughs> He won the Brownlow medal, but that was last year. This is all about this year. I'm tipping the Crows to win in a nail biter. Now on to Saturday. This mm, we'll get on to. Uh, you know, Liam, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what I said after. I'll tell you what I think afterwards. But you can get on to this one first. It's GWS versus Gold Coast. Can we call them expansion side still? You know, I'm calling them expansion side still. Gold Coast battle of the expansion. G- uh, Giant Stadium. Who do you think is going to win? Um. I think this is somewhat of an upset to, to say Gold Coast. I know that Gold Coast, um, you know, have probably well, they've, they've got the better record than GWS at this point, but I still think most people would be picking GWS at home. Um, I think also because they've got the better team available to them. But I just think if you look at what we've seen of Gold Coast so far this year, there's reasons to be excited if you're a Gold Coast supporter. You know, they were very competitive against Melbourne. 
um, and they won their first game. So, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to go and achieve massive things this year, but I think this is definitely a year that, I mean, we say this every year about Gold Coast and it never turns out to be because they always seem to start well and then just fade out. So I might be, you know, holding my head in shame to, to make that bold assumption that this could be a good year for them. But I do think they'll get the win here, even against the odds over in, um, in the west of Sydney. So I'm going to back them to win by two goals. Dang it. I thought I was going to be the only one tipping this one. I am going with the Gold Coast as well. You mentioned the uh, Giants having a better list of players to choose from. Isaac Rankin uh, could very well be coming back into the game if so be a massive inclusion for uh, the Suns, obviously. Uh, Lockie Weller could potentially be coming back in. Constable, probably not, but he's coming closer and closer into coming back into form, according to AFL.com.au. Now, the Giants, on the other hand, not only did they get their pants pulled down and they not only got absolutely by the Tigers, but they also got wrecked by the injury gods. Phil Davis out with an injury. Brett Daniels out with an oh, Sorry, not Brett Daniels. Um, Daniel Lloyd out with an injury. Brett Daniels is also out injured, but that was an early problem. Five to seven weeks he'll be out for. These are big injuries for a team that is already missing one of their leaders in their heart and soul in Toby Green. And I think the Suns are going to win. It's going to be close. I'm tipping the Suns by 10 points. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, an exact repeat of their one-point win last year against them, GW, uh, against GWS in Ballarat. It should be an awesome game of football. On to the Saturday night clash, Collingwood versus Geelong. Now, I think the first few weeks will show exactly what Geelong are this year. They'll struggle against the really good teams, and they will comfortably beat the teams that they should comfortably beat. Because of that, and because I do think that they are a better side, I'm sorry Liam, but I do expect Collingwood's good run to come to an end. And I'm tipping Collingwood to lose by four goals. What about you? Yeah, I don't think there's um, much difference, ironically. Um, I think it's going to be a close game to start with. I think Collingwood, if, you, if you've seen much of their, their game this year, um, they come out of the gates at 100 miles an hour. They, they, the, the pressure against Adelaide in the first quarter and a half, two quarters was just elite level. Like Adelaide couldn't touch the ball without having a Collingwood player breathing down their neck. Um, so I think that Collingwood will be able to, you know, mimic that kind of performance for the first quarter or two against Geelong, even with Geelong's obviously a bit more passive and, um, you know, uh, slow approach. I still think that it will be difficult for Geelong to keep the ball away from Collingwood's pressure in the first half. But I think, you know, you compare the experience of the two sides. One of them is vastly experienced. One of them only has a few leaders. So I think ultimately Geelong will be too strong and they'll get away from Collingwood in the second half with that experience. I think I'm backing them by a similar margin, 26 points. Don't forget the last two times they played you, they have annihilated you both times. So I'm just saying. It's entirely Thanks for the reminder. Entirely, yeah, no, no rights. Just in case you forgot, you know, I, you know, I always look after you. I don't think it's going to happen this time around, though. I do think Collingwood is a much better team than they were last year, and even in 2020, potentially. Um, on to the Gabba. Now, this one, I tipped Brisbane by seven goals originally before I saw the fact that uh, Taryn Thomas is now sidelined for up to two months, according to afl.com.au, and Luke Davis-Uniaki 
will miss the game against Brisbane due to concussion protocols. So I'm going to take that 42 point margin here. I'm going to just excuse the typing, change that four into a six. Brisbane by 62 points. I think at the Gabba, they are already invincible against the really good teams in the competition. North, no disrespect to them, but they are not a really good team in the competition. I think they're going to struggle this year, the Kangaroos. They barely beat a Frankensteinish West Coast team made up with like 95% waffle players. They barely beat them. No, they're going to get no, Brisbane going to blow them out of the water. Blow them out of the water. Yeah, I'm with you there. I don't think there's many debates. Um, I, I think you'd be a very bold man um, to predict uh, North Melbourne getting a result against uh, Brisbane in these circumstances. At the Gabba, they're virtually unbeatable, especially against a side as lacklustre-ish, shall we say, as North Melbourne. Granted, they got a good result against West Coast, but West Coast were playing with, a, you know, virtually a backup team. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be with you there. I'm going to say Brisbane by six goals. It might as well have been East Fremantle instead of West Coast. That's how waffle they were. Now on to Sunday, quite possibly the most important game between these two teams since the 1987 VFL Grand Final. It's Carlton versus Hawthorne, a good old-fashioned Victorian scrap at the MCG. There's a late 80s feel to this one, and I'm excited for it. Hopefully they'll bring back the 80s prices on things like food and drinks. Um, Liam, who do you think is going to win this one? This is a battle between two teams with two new coaches. Michael Ross should be back in the coach's box. Carlton should have all their missing players that they had missing and coaching personnel missing due to the COVID situation they had back. But the Hawks did pulverize Port Adelaide. So I'm curious, who do you think is going to win this one? I mean, I'm picking the favourite. I'm going to say Carlton, unfortunately, as much as I don't want that to be the case. But I think this is one of those games that, almost anything can happen. I wouldn't be surprised if Hawthorne pulled out a result um, and won by five goals. And I also wouldn't be shocked if Carlton won by 50 points. I think this is a game which almost anything can happen. Um, but I think most signs would point towards Carlton. So I think I do need to say that. Um, and I think one of the, the big differences between the two sides as well is that Carlton have established superstar players in their team. You know, you look at Walsh, you look at Cripps, McKay, Kerner, Weedering, you know, you can rattle off probably four or five more that I've, you know, not even mentioned, you know, Kennedy. Um, these are all players who have been very good players, you, you know, for a couple of years plus at this point. Whereas Hawthorne are a very young team, still very inexperienced, who definitely have some good players, you know, on their list, but not many who have been established at that level for more than a year, for instance. Um, and I think the inexperience of Hawthorne, as opposed to maybe the experience of Carlton, will be the difference. I think Carlton will win by 29 points. Yep, I'm tipping Carlton by a similar margin for similar reasons. I do think that Carlton, their brand of football is more sustainable under pressure. I think their list is in a better position to challenge this year than Hawthorne. And I do think that once the Hawks face, because they haven't been put under a lot of pressure so far, Hawthorne, let's admit it. They played against, they played against teal, black and white, uh, traffic cones last week and North Melbourne in the second half was pretty much all the royal blue and white traffic cones in round one. I think they're going to crumble under a little bit of Carlton pressure. I'm tipping the Blues by 22 points. I do think it'll be a close game. I'll be surprised if either team crush the other one, but who knows? You're right. Anything could happen. On to 
Another interesting game, intriguing one, Battle of the One and Ones. It's St. Kilda versus Richmond at Marvel Stadium. Now, Richmond looked more impressive than the Giants did. Uh, sorry, than the than the Saints did. Granted, the Saints, congratulations to them. First time they won it off the stadium. First time they won in Perth in God knows how long. This since 2012, the Saints had now only won two games in Perth, including the one on the weekend. So full kudos to them. It was a great effort. But with that being said, they did look pretty average during that first that first half. Richmond looked good throughout the entire game. So I'm still not convinced that St. Kilda can play four quarters of football. Dylan Grimes might be back for the Tigers, maybe. Dustin Martin probably won't be um, due to mental health reasons. Hope that he's okay. Um, Jack Rewalt might or might not be back, maybe. Um, If two out of those three players are back in, the Tigers will win comfortably, even if they all miss. I do expect Richmond to win. It won't be as much as they won in round five last year, which was Richmond by 86 points. It won't be that. But I do think the Tigers are going to win by 14 points. And I do believe that this is a Maddie Rewalt um, Vision game. Great, um, great cause. Great, great event as it is always. Um, and I think it's going to be a good game of football. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, we haven't seen anything from St Kilda yet to be excited about. They did beat a somewhat lackluster Fremantle. Um, so I, I think that Richmond, like you said, have you know a few players who could come back into this team. And if they do, they'll probably just have a bit too much firepower. Um, so I think Richmond to win semi-comfortably by 25 points. Now we get on to the most interesting game of the round, arguably. I know I've said that for the last two games, but this is also interesting. It's West Coast versus Fremantle, the Western Derby. Last time these two teams played, Fremantle finally ended an 11-game losing streak against the Eagles in one of the games of the year last year. So wrong, so right, great call as always. But I'm just wondering, with the Eagles getting their tsunami of players back from COVID protocols, I'm just wondering, can the Dockers, well, I'm thinking, will the Dockers lose this one? Can the Eagles pinch an upset? Liam, who are you tipping? Uh, I'm still going to back Fremantle. I think, like you said, obviously, West Coast could have a lot of players coming back, but how fit are those players going to be? They haven't been at training, so we don't really know how game-ready a lot of these players are going to be. Obviously, you assume players at this point will have home gyms and things like that, but nothing compares to being on the track with your squad, um, you know, training and, you know, listening to... With the boys? Yeah, so so I I think there's still that factor of we don't know how many of those players will come back and how ready of those players that come back, how many of them will be ready. Um, So I think that... You know, I still think that Fremantle will have the edge over West Coast in that regard. Um, but it definitely is an exciting game. Um, I think it'll be close. I think Fremantle will win by 15 points. Yep, fair point. I am going with the Dockers as well. Even if the Eagles had all their plays back in, I just trust Fremantle's list demographic better than I do with the Eagles. But you're right in terms of the Eagles, you know, how fit are they going to be? How much are they going to gel? How many players are they going to get back? How many, who knows which players are next going to be in the COVID casualty ward? Fremantle, I think, are the only team yet to actually have a COVID outbreak. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to them once they do. But they should be getting David Mundy back. 
from COVID protocols. And I think he's going to make the difference in this game. David Mundy's just amazing. Isn't he amazing? Seriously, to do what he does at his age and do it as well. If he was on the East Coast, he would be a football celebrity up and down the entirety of the East Coast. The fact that he's in WA, I don't think we talk about him enough, which is saying quite a lot considering the fact that a lot of people here do talk about him quite a bit. I'm tipping Fremantle on a close one by four points. Now, I'm curious... Which game are you most looking forward to this weekend, Liam? And which game do you think is going to be the biggest blowout? Um, I think the game I'm most looking forward to is the game we just mentioned. I think it's going to be a real interesting one, the West Coast Fremantle game. Obviously, it's one of the, uh, you know, a few derbies we've got happening this weekend. Um, so I think, I think this is going to be, like I said, we mentioned our reasons for thinking Fremantle will win. But I think depending on what happens with the West Coast players, it could change the, the scope of this game. So there's still a lot of things that we don't know what's going to happen with this game. And I think for that reason, it's quite an exciting one. Um, in terms of the biggest blowout, I think it has to be the uh, North Melbourne and uh, Brisbane game. I just don't see a, a case where North Melbourne put up much of an effort against Brisbane. Brisbane at home are just far too strong in that instance. So I think that's the game which is going to be the least exciting, if you like, to watch uh, for a neutral, if you, if you if you suppose. If you're a Brisbane fan, I'm sure you're probably going to take great pleasure in watching that game. I think, you know, that story of um, the, the Trojan horse, high inside the horse, jump out, surprise, destroy everything in sight. It's going to be the opposite of that. North Melbourne players, they're going to try and sneak onto, sneak onto the Gabba, but the Lions are going to be waiting for them. And I think the Kangaroos are going to walk into a butt-whooping. I think it's going to be an annihilation, a destroyation. They're going to be eviscerated. They're going to be like every single negative connotation that you can come up with, every single negative synonym that you have for the word destroyed, that's going to be applied to this one. I would rather watch paint dry, truthfully. But onto the game that I'm most looking forward to, it's tied two games I'm interested in for two vastly different reasons. You have Carlton versus Hawthorne battle of teams that we weren't expecting to be 2-0, but are 2-0, versus two teams that at least one of them we weren't expecting to be 0-2, but are 0-2, and our two arch rivals in Adelaide and Port Adelaide. I'm excited for both of these games because of the connotations. If the power go 0-3, he's going to come for Ken Hinckley. If the pros go 0-3, questions are going to be start asking about Matthew Nix. Is the rebuild going well? If the Blues go 3-0, that sets them up very nicely for potentially top four push. If the Hawks go 3-0, then maybe what Lee, Maton- what Lee Montagna excuse me, said at the start of the year, when he said that at some point we'll be talking about Hawks making finals football, maybe that won't be so crazy. I'm excited for this round of football. Monster matches all round. Thank you, Lee, for joining me this week, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure we've been everywhere we've, to be we've been to the mcg for aflw football we've been to the west for the derby and we've been back to the battlefields of troy mate I Gee, this been, Saturday, gee right? i'm surprised that we're not tired after all this traveling i, I know i know i think we've done all that in just over an hour very <laughs> impressive anyway dear listener thank you for listening to this episode of the through the banner podcast Pleasure having you on, as always. Looking forward to next week previewing the AFLW Grand Final and talking about round four of the AFL men's action. Until then, bye-bye!